Hello and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24-7. My name is Betty Woolerton and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture and more. Hi everyone, this is Betty here. This week at Bristol 24-7, we've covered protests, Marvin Rees's State of the City address, murals, theatre at Bristol Old Vic, new food and drink openings and more. This is all for you to read on bristol247.com. We've also said a very sad goodbye to Charlie Watts, our fantastic community reporters editor who's moved on from Bristol 24-7 this week. The highlight of my week was going to see a screening of a new film from local journalist Neil Maggs the other day. It's called Normal for Hartcliffe and it gives an insight into life on the estate in South Bristol with a host of characters who speak of their frustration at the continued stereotypes that blight the area, but also their pride of living in a close-knit, welcoming place that's trying to thrive on the edge of the city. In the next clip, you're going to hear from the panel discussion that took place after the film was screened at the watershed. This included Neil, former councillor Paul Smith, current councillor Kerry Bales and local filmmaker Paul Holbrook. Okay, um, first question, I think, um, and this is a bit weird. Obviously, I made the film and I'm asking questions about this. It's a bit odd. A part of me would prefer to just let it speak for itself. Yeah, so I think we have a broader conversation about Hartcliffe itself. But I think the first thing to address is why, why are we doing it here? We're at the Watershed, a central arts venue. We're at Bristol Ideas Festival, which you could argue is a kind of highbrow arts and culture festival. Why, why is it important for us to do this? What I, what I do want to say before you answer that is we have had three local screenings in Hartcliffe and in the local area, which I felt personally was quite important to do, first of all. But I also think it's quite important that this film is shown to a wider audience. If I can come to you on the end, Paul Smith. Yeah. yeah do you think it's important to be shown in venues like this? Uh, absolutely. I mean... It's act, you know it's quite difficult to get people to come into Hardcliffe. So you know bringing Hardcliffe into the city, I think, is really important. The city needs to know that Hardcliffe is part of it. The city isn't just the bits in the middle that you know that people you know walk around and where all the buses go and everything else. Places like Hardcliffe, like Lawrence Western, like Avonmouth, they're all part of the city too. And the discussion about them shouldn't be marginalised just to where they are, but should be brought in uh, to the central, <coughs> the central area. And I don't think in the city we talk enough about those uh, those areas and those communities. Kerry? Um, yeah, I think it is really important. Um, more that now than ever, with you know everything that's going on in the world and Bristol and politics, I think it's an opportunity for people outside of the area to see what it's actually like to live there. It's not all doom and gloom. We've got some lovely people there that work really hard um, and they have done for a long time. Um, so I think it is really, really important that you see how we actually live. And um, you you show quite a lot of your films here, don't you, Paul? Yeah. And so obviously for you it's important. And a lot of your films are set in Hartcliffe for using people from the local area. Um, it's important that that gets out of the area mm. to a wider audience. My films, yeah, um, yeah. Well, why you choose to you choose, you choose to, to you know you why show you the start here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I start because you here could argue that you know it's a 
I mean, I was sorry, I've got a lot of support here. Like, yeah. the team here have supported me and my career for a long time. Um, and they're passionate about giving working class voices uh, you know, a venue and a screen and, a, and an outlet. So um, I've just been lucky that they are a very supportive branch of people here, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the title for the film is, is Normal for Hartcliffe. Um, and without context, when, when this was promoted online, some people were like, what does that mean? And kind of getting all a bit funny about it. And I think that um, what I felt was important to do was to put like a kind of positive spin and actually reflect a bit on what Paul said in Paul Smith, that is not Paul Horrock, in the, in the film. Um, and actually actually sort of display what is actually normal for Hartcliffe and people that live there. Um, can you, you, I never heard of this thing before you mentioned it and you mentioned it completely out of the blue in filmmaking sometimes you can come with an idea of certain questions you want to ask but some, you know, often something magical kind of happens or something's revealed and you just kind of came out of this out of the blue um, when did you first hear about that and, and is it actually true was it like an urban myth <laughs> yeah so I, I, I did that I think I got challenged by the Bristolian saying that this was just an urban myth and it wasn't true it was. It actually came. Can you just give context of the Bristolian? Because some people might not know what you mean to that. The Bristolian is it's a, not a random bloke. The Bristolian is, is a, it? <laughs> the Bristolian is a is an alternative, shall I say, magazine yeah. that has an interesting view on things that go on in, in Bristol. And he thought it was just a, you know when the people who write it thought it was a snooper myth, but actually. Um, the, the research report done was done by Bernardo's, who have a presence on the estate, and it was done about 1990, I think, their report was, was written. And they had come across, because Bernardo's were working with a lot of people that were being supported by other services, they were seeing it on people's case notes. And then they investigated and found out that NFH meant normal for Hartcliffe. I've since found out that actually there are other working class estates around the country where normal for X it was a shorthand that was used by public services to say um, there's something terrible going on here we ought to do something about it but actually it's normal for Hartcliffe so we won't you know and it basically normalised people's oppression and the discrimination against people and said well effectively that's okay because they're from Hartcliffe um, and you know that's that was basically the tone of the report, and that that's what the phrase means, and it, it means it when it's used in other places as well. It's yeah. like you don't deserve as much, you don't deserve the same support that other people, and if you're if there are things and challenges in your life uh, that we wouldn't normally expect to see in other places, it doesn't matter because actually it's normal here. And Neil said he plans to put out more screenings of Normal for Hartcliffe out into the community if you would like to watch the film in the coming months. Now, next, we're going to hear from a Bristol University student called Kareem Abarosa. He was speaking at a protest in solidarity with Palestinians on Wednesday. The action came after hundreds of people are feared dead after a huge blast at a hospital in Gaza City. Hamas say an Israeli airstrike was the cause, while the Israeli Prime Minister says it was... I quote, a barbaric terrorist. Hi everyone. So I'm Palestinian and I'm privileged enough to be here today and be alive and be well to tell my story and to tell the story of my people and my brothers and sisters all over there. And it's a one-way street. You're either on the wrong side of history or you're on the right side. The one that does not support genocide, the one that's against apartheid, the one that's against the ethnic cleansing and settler colonialization of Palestine and its people. And like the international war crimes that 
Israel commits on a daily basis is just clear. And I don't understand how they try to continue to deny and lie. They're just lying to you. I don't understand how you guys go on Twitter and the digital spoke spokesperson of Israel admits to actually being the ones who blew up uh, the hospital as a Hamas terrorist base and whatever. And then you go on to say that it was actually the other team and Joe Biden's there to support you. I don't understand how this disinformation campaign continues. You cannot be silent in a time like this. You cannot be quiet in a time like this. You have to be loud. You have to be on the right side. You have to do something. What are you going to ask? What are you going to tell the people who ask you, what have you done for Palestine? You stayed quiet in a time like this when it's free now? No, you want to be on the right side. You want to be there. You want to live with your brothers. You want to be in unity with them. Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever your ethnicity, race is, you have to be together united. <laughs> not the time for it and I've heard people say that Gaza is an open-air prison it's a concentration camp to say it's a prison indicates that they're criminals there are women and children inside of there there's not anyone else except innocent people and there's there's nothing else for them to do but seek refuge in places which end up getting like there's no safety for them anywhere and I'm sorry I can't like really come up with proper words and like vocabulary it's just like really an emotional thing to talk about and everything and yeah it's just like I had to come up here to tell you guys that me as a Palestinian who's never been able to even enter Palestine has to do something about this and I really hope that you guys are aware and are willing to do something about this as well. So. And Bristol University told us in a statement their thoughts are with everyone affected by the horrific loss of life and suffering in Gaza and Israel. And there's no place for any form of racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, discrimination, incitement, bullying or harassment at the University of Bristol. And finally, we're going further north to Henley's, where Bristol 24-7 editor spoke to artist Jenny Urquhart about her latest project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my name's Jenny Urquhart and I paint pictures of Bristol for a living and um, I love what I do. So we're talking today, Jenny, because the latest escapade in your artistic career is a pack of playing cards. And as soon as I saw these cards, I needed to hold them in my hand. I've just held them in my hand. And they're fantastic. And I asked you, there's 54 playing cards in a pack. And you painted 54 images of Bristol. You had to you had to cut them down to get them to 54. Yeah. Um, so I've been painting for about 12 years now, and I must have painted Bristol two or three hundred times, maybe more. So I saw this company that produced produced um, bespoke cards, and I was so excited. Um, so I spent about two days just sifting through like endless like files of photos on my laptop and managed to cut it down to 54 pictures and then you know spent a day like trying to sort of fit them into the template online and um, and then they arrived and I'm so chuffed with them I absolutely love them I'm perfect for Christmas we'll get the plug in there early <laughs> yeah. well I had an art style this weekend um, and I'd put them out for the first time honestly people love them and they're going to be stocking fillers um secret santa or just i had actually no idea how many people play cards like as a as a thing so yeah i'm so chuffed with them i love them and 
If I was to perhaps be unfair, we've got rather a cliched image of Bristol with the bridge and balloons and the gorge on the front, but that's not just what you paint. You go all over, but you do focus quite a lot on perhaps the areas of Bristol that maybe sell. Do you yes. have, do you have yes. to, is that what you have to do yeah, as a professional yeah, artist? Yeah. So that means bridge balloons. Bridge balloons, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in the countryside, um, so I'm really a country girl at heart. Uh, but I moved to Bristol 20 years ago, and I, as a city, I absolutely love it. And I live, I live just in a little terrace house um, in North Bristol, and my sort of default walk is across the downs to the, and see the bridge. Um, and I like to paint bits of Bristol that have got green bits, so the bridge has got leewoods and trees um, and flowers on the gorge, so that's my default. Um, and I paint whatever mood I'm in. So I get up in the morning and I paint from my kitchen table or on the kitchen floor if it's a big picture. And um, you know, if I'm in a jolly mood, I might just do cutting and sticking like a preschooler. <laughs> Or if I'm feeling more like a grown-up, I might do a more sort of figurative, darker picture. So yeah, it's whatever mood I'm in, really. That was a bit unfair of me, wasn't it? I got a bit, I got a bit interrogational there, accusing you of just sticking to the Bristol <laughs> cliches. Um, because I think, like I said, the bridge does feature quite a lot in your in your work. How many times do you think you've painted the Clifton Suspension Bridge in your career? Uh, I reckon. Two or three hundred, probably. And then occasionally somebody goes, but you haven't painted, you know, and they point out a part of Bristol, and I'll go and seek it out. And little things like that make me realise the whole of Bristol's full of beautiful places. Um, So I need to just get out more, I think, and um, (laughs) go and explore it. How do you keep interest in your work? How do you carry on painting such a familiar scene and make it enjoyable for you, make your work different each time. Is your style developing? Do you paint the bridge from a slightly new angle? How do you go about the latest (laughs) bridge picture? Do you know, that is a really good question because um, I have reached the point sometimes where I think I cannot face the bridge anymore and I have tried to look for different angles but recently I've been painting more sort of rural scenes or coastal scenes. You know, I look out at my terrace house and I see terraced houses and actually what I want to see is fields and trees and the sea so the most recent stuff I've done has been totally different to Bristol and because I've got no training so I don't know really what I'm doing I sort of make it up as I go along so it's like being permanently in art school and when I try something new and it works it's like oh I can do more of that so the last few months I discovered epoxy resin so I made an absolute complete mess in my house doing like fish ponds in epoxy resin um, you know and uh, my husband who's got a proper grown up job sort of sees me getting overexcited and can't understand why I get so excited about what I do but um, yeah it's great so the potted CV of Jenny Urquhart then you were a teacher back in the day uh, yeah yeah I was um couldn't do art at my school when I grew up because it, uh, yeah, it was just a, quite a tough school in a council estate and they didn't offer art and so I did science and then I became a science teacher. Um, but I remember I did a science degree and I remember doing my dissertation on, it was on a specific group of insects, uh, it's quite niche, and I spent about a month on my front cover and about a few days on the content. So I think I've always really loved art and I've 
you know, as a science teacher, there's not that much scope to use art. But since I finished being a science teacher, I just painted every day pretty much, 10, 10 hours a day sometimes. I just love it, absolutely love it. It's like 30 kids and Bunsen burners, all just colouring in at home. <laughs> And collage, you mentioned your collage. I'm picturing some of your pieces with um, uh, bits of magazines and newspaper. Um, and they're often related to Bristol as well. Yes. So the collages have meaning That's themselves. Meaning, yeah, um, I get, I collect the like free magazines and, um, and I get mates to also collect different magazines that have stuff related to Bristol or anything to be honest. I mean, I've got a friend up the road who has um, a surgery and she always has leftover magazines so she'll collect them all up for me and dump them on my doorstep. Um, I just spend hours just cutting out shapes, um, even if they're quite irrelevant. So yeah. I hear that the Bristol 24-7 quarterly magazine is back now, Jenny, so perhaps we'll make yeah, an appearance yeah, yeah, one day. Yeah, that, would be, yeah. that would be a dream. I think your, your work must be in so many people's houses, whether it's on the wall or coasters. I think yeah. I've got some coasters of yours. What, how does that make you feel? Yeah, well, I do feel really proud when I, you know, I, I do on the side, I do some cat sitting because I'm obsessed with cats. And I'll go in local people's houses and see my stuff. And then I can't really, I'm trying to work out whether it's been forced upon them as a present <laughs> or they've actually chosen it themselves. I'd like to think they've chosen it themselves, but often my stuff's given as a gift. And so people have to have it as a gift. <laughs> and you said that there was the, um, there was the West Bristol Arts Trail last weekend, yeah. um, which you were which you were part of. Is that an opportunity for you to meet meet your fans, meet your buyers? Is that a nice yeah. way? Because it can be quite solitary, I suppose, working from your kitchen table. Yeah, um, I I work on my own every day, and I've got a massive telly in my kitchen so everybody on the screen is usually life-size so I pretend that they're my friends you know <laughs> um, but what's so nice about an arts trail is you do get people who when you're on your own all the time painting you do wonder if people are going to like what you do and you know sometimes I produce pictures I think god that's rubbish but then somebody will come along and and genuinely they seem to like it and you just think oh you know it's worthwhile doing it because somebody has seen some value in it and um, yeah so it's really nice process was there a time then that you had to make a decision to say farewell to those Bunsen burners <laughs> and take up art as a full-time career or was it something that developed? Um, well, I found it really hard to be a science teacher and juggle having little kids. And when my two sons were about to start school, I just couldn't seem to juggle it. And um, so I decided to become a science tutor, like a biology tutor. Um, and I started to paint the odd picture really as a hobby because I hadn't painted since school and, um, and I had a, a little table at my kids Christmas fair you can pay like 20 quid and you get a table and you can sell your stuff at their Christmas fair and sold literally everything and I came back with a wadge of cash and I said to my husband you know this is what I want to do uh, so I just gave up on being a tutor um, and my brain's gone anyway I don't think I could do it now I'm, I'm just frazzled mum so um, but painting's fine I can do that so and, and you've got a wonderfully recognisable style I think if people know that art in Bristol they would recognise a Jenny Urquhart piece but looking at some of your more recent work it has become more lifelike yeah. it's not, not quite photographic in its style but you have 
been developing your work. So is that, again, to keep the interest going for you? I don't know if you do it. You can't just create art for it to be sold. Is that a happy byproduct of something that you really enjoy? That, yeah. Um, I, if I don't paint for a couple of days, I get really frustrated and... And because I'm always thinking of new views and new, I'm trying new ways of doing stuff, I think naturally it's kind of developed over time. I mean, it really does depend on my mood. And I haven't done a collage for a few months now, and I've just had a whole dump of magazines on my doorstep, so I can feel <laughs> some collage is about to happen. Um, but, you know, I do it so much, and I've just been... I sort of felt that my technique has got ever so slightly better the more I've done it's like anything you practice something for ages and you get slightly better at it and and I still don't think of myself as an artist because you know I just when people say what do you do I I say I paint pictures for a living because using the word artist sounds I don't know just a bit pretentious and a bit but I suppose I am an artist now officially (laughs) well and now you're a playing card entrepreneur are people going to be able to see that development of you as a painter of pictures through the playing cards have you made sure to choose pieces that encompass your career yeah there were I mean I started painting about 12 years ago and you can I've got images that are my first few paintings all the way through to one I finished just before I sent off the pack so you can see I don't it'd be hard to sort of recognize which are my early ones which are my later ones because they're pretty random but um but you can see if you can try and guess the views that I've chosen it's not just the bridge there are a few sneaky secret views that you might be able to recognize where are some of your other favorite paint places to paint and do you paint from um photographs or on location or from memory how do you get the views uh, it's a mixture so sometimes I refer to photos I've taken on holiday so my dream my dream view would be a coastal scene a really sunny day flowers you know you can always imagine the sound of the sea um, but sometimes I just paint out of my head so forest, I do a lot of forest throughout my head because um, I have lots of dreams about forest I don't know what that means I don't know what it means but um, or, I, or I might like for instance I painted some mudskippers recently I mean where's that come from I just painted it out of my head because I like mudskippers <laughs> so do you feel that you have to you have to get out of Bristol to keep those artistic juices flowing I've, I've heard a rumour that Bristol isn't the only set of playing cards that you have <laughs> produced yeah well I my, when I was little I used to always go on holiday to Cornwall and um, and uh, late in life discovered Devon and um, so I have I have got a set of Devon and Cornwall playing cards out uh, for those that want those cards and, and I find in Bristol loads of people go to Devon and Cornwall and, and that's you know where they can you can escape even for the day so yeah one day if I leave Bristol I think I'll live in Cornwall and see the sea but for now we're going to see dozens and dozens more paintings of the bridge from all different <laughs> angles you're not going to stop anytime soon no. painting Bristol no, no I love Bristol it's the best city in the world um, I never thought I'd fall in love with the city, but um, from the, the first day I visited it, when my sister was at uni here, and my husband, in fact, was her flatmate, that's how I met my husband, um, I fell in love with Bristol and promised that I would live there one day, and I do, and I love it. <laughs> and thank you for painting such memorable Bristol scenes, Jenny Urquhart. So that 
was Jenny Urquhart and thank you so much for being on the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast from Little Pantry in Henleys. Thanks for having me. That was Martin Booth and Jenny Urquhart and if you want to buy any of her playing cards then you can head to her online shop at www.jennyurquhart.com. So that's it from us from this week's podcast. Have a brilliant week, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. I've been Betty Woolerton, and if you do want to support independent journalism in Bristol, please do consider becoming a member for just £5 a month or £45 a year by heading to our website, which is bristol247.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.